you are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So last, last Saturday, um, my wife asked me, so, so what's your plans for today? And, uh, and I said, well, I, I need to change the oil in the boy's car. Uh, and, and so she asked a very non-male question, uh, well, why don't you just take it and get it done? Because I can save $30 and I can do it myself, right? Because I'm a male and I don't pay anybody else to do something unless I can't do it. And so got on YouTube. Uh, listen, let me encourage you and, and challenge you as your pastor. YouTube is a lie. Because <laughs> it'll convince you that you can do anything in five minutes and 38 seconds and you may not be able to actually do that. Uh, but so I get on there, I'm like, oh yeah, I can get to that oil filter right now. You know, I know how to change oil on a, on a car that's not made in the last 15 years. Uh, because they're all now modern. But so I'm like, yeah, I can get to that oil filter. So long story short, um, after uh, three trips, one to the Walmart and back, one to Advance Auto and back, and then one to the AutoZone just for the trifecta, the trinity of car places. And three and a half, four hours later, I got the oil changed. It wasn't worth the $30 I saved, I can promise you. The problem here was not that I didn't know how to change oil. I know how to change oil. One, you know, one screw on oil filter. I know how to do that. The problem was I lacked the tools that I needed. And I, my little wrench that I'm trying to, well, maybe I can hack it with this or I can, hack. no, you need the 65 millimeter oil filter wrench. I don't know why. I don't know why they do that, but I, I, not the 65, 67, that didn't work. It kept slipping. I had to get this specific one. And I had to have a 14 millimeter socket with a three-inch drive because that's just the way it is. And I don't have any of those things because I have no tools, right? So I have to go and buy. I lacked what I needed to get it done. And finally, after agony and gnashing of teeth, I, I got the oil changed. Uh, and I was thinking about that. There's a whole lot of people going through this thing called life. And they've watched the YouTube video and they think they can do it and they think they know what to do. But really, they're lacking what they need. Right? They, they know maybe what to do, but they don't have the ability. They're lacking the tools to do this thing called life. And, that, and they're hacking it. They're bringing out a wrench here and trying to do this, but it's just not working. They're not getting it done. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a song, a psalm, maybe the most famous of songs. Most famous of psalms. This is, this is the psalm that whether you're old or young, you know it, right? You've heard it probably. Whether you've been in church your whole life or, or not, you've probably at least heard this psalm somewhere. And this is a song that's going to tell you how you cannot be lacking what you need. That you can have what you need. And there's going to be one key component in this psalm. The psalm is Psalm 23. So go ahead, if you have a copy of God's Word or a app or iPad, go and open to Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. And, and we're going to see, we're going to highlight today all the things that you will never lack. You will have the wrench you need. You will have the socket you need. You will have everything you need when there's one key truth that is true of you. And that key truth is this, that God is your shepherd. When God is your shepherd, what will you never lack? That's what we're going to do today. And, and there's going to be 10 things that I identify. We're going to be working through this text. There's a, we could spend more time, actually. But I'm going to highlight 10 things. And it's not so that you can just write all 10 points down and say, oh, I got my 10 points. Okay, I listened to the sermon. No, my prayer is that maybe one of these, maybe two of these, 
would just resonate with your soul, that the spirit of the living God who lives in all God's people would, would kind of illumine your hearts in this. And this would be something that you just needed this morning for encouragement, for reminder, because the reality is this. Some of us know it here, but it doesn't feel like that this morning. I know this is true, but I don't feel like that. So that God, by his spirit, through his word, would quicken the word of God to your soul and that you would find rest and you'd be encouraged. And, and for the, the other side is this. If God is not your shepherd this morning, you're like me running a Walmart, advanced auto, you're looking for all the tools, that you would recognize that you lack these things and this is where you get them, in the shepherd. All right, so that's where we're going. Can't deep dive on all 10 points, it would take us five hours. But here's what I would say. If you're interested in really deep diving on this psalm, I can't recommend higher a book called, uh, by Philip Keller, K-E-L-L-E-R, you can get it on Amazon, uh, called The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, right? It's a classic written in the 70s. Uh, he's, he's with the Lord now. He's a pastor, but he also was a shepherd. He was an actual shepherd. And he writes this, this little commentary uh, on, uh, from a shepherd's perspective and gives great insights that I wouldn't ever have gotten. So I uh, read it again this week, just in preparation for today. Can't recommend it higher. You can get it for like 10 bucks on Amazon. He actually writes about couple books of that. He has a book about sheepdogs. I kind of want to get that one. Oh, Shepherds look at sheepdogs. I'm like, oh, that's fun. Uh, so you can read anything by him. He's great. He was a shepherd in Africa, traveled the world, uh, taught a lot of God's word and really, a, really some great insights uh, from him. Uh, but the key uh, to this, this psalm, and, and this is a famous psalm, right? And there's a reason why it's so comforting and it's so famous, why it's read at funerals. It's why when you're scared, when you're on the plane and there's turbulence, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? There's a reason why it speaks to our soul, right? So let's, let's, let's jump in. The, the first line is the key to the entire psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you've been here for any length of time, you, you've, you've heard me say that when you see Lord in capital letters, it's the covenant name Yahweh. It's God's covenant name, the name that means I am that I am the great I am, the omniscient, all-knowing, not needing anything, self-sufficient God, the one who defeated Pharaoh, the one who led the Israelites across the Red Sea through the desert to, his, to the promised land. This, this one true God, he is, David says, my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And that in itself is a loaded, it's just a loaded phrase. We could spend a whole, whole time on that. But let me give, highlight some observations. When you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, couple things are true. Thing number one that's true is that means you are a what? You're a sheep, right? Now, sheep, it's not a compliment, okay? If you say, I'm a Labrador retriever, that's a compliment. You're a sheep, it's not a compliment. And Keller brings out in his book that the similarities between sheep and humans are, are uncanny, so similar. Like, like humans, sheep follow a mob mentality. Wherever the whole herd goes, sheep go. Is that true of us? Yes. Sheep are stubborn. People stubborn. Sheep have all sorts of perverse habits, right? They, they eat what they shouldn't. They drink what they shouldn't. They roll around in what they shouldn't. People do that? Yeah. Right? We're just like sheep, right? Sheep are defenseless. Sheep have no natural defense mechanism, right? They're one of the few animals that they have none. They just kind of lie there and die. Unless, unless you're allergic to wool, they are an easy target, Right? And, and the other thing is, sheep are pretty, pretty dumb. They just are. Let me show you a video to highlight this. Some of you have seen us on the internet. But this, this is us. See that sheep caught in there? 
How do you get caught in there? I don't even know. That's us. Just think about it. That's me. that make you feel good about yourself now? So when you say the Lord is my shepherd, that's you. Okay. You're saying I'm a sheep. Second thing you're saying is this, that God is a shepherd, which by the way, is, is not a, it's a humiliating thing to be a shepherd is not some like, Oh yes. High class thing. Shepherds were considered low class in that day. It shows the, the humbleness of almighty God that he would be a shepherd. No one desires to be a shepherd. No one's like, I want to be a shepherd. No one pretends to be a shepherd, right? Who's the hero of Toy Story? It's the cowboy. Everyone wants to be a cowboy, not a shepherd. We have whole stores where you get to go pretend that you're a cowboy. You don't even know what a cow looks like, but you can wear the hat. You can get the boots. Some of you I'm wearing them this morning. You ain't never been in a field. You got the belt buckle. You got the wranglers, right? Cowboys love being what? Cowboys, living the life of a cowboy. Shepherds love what? The sheep. They live for what? The sheep, right? It's interesting that the New Testament metaphor for pastor, the word pastor just means shepherd. It actually, it's the same, same word, right? It's not an exalted thing. It's someone who humbles himself and cares for others. So God is a shepherd, understand that. And, and notice third observation, the personal language. He's my shepherd, my shepherd, right? That, that's, that's significant. Yahweh is my shepherd. I am mine and I belong to him. I am his and I belong to him. There's a personal connection. See, anyone can say the Lord is a shepherd, right? Anyone can say that. The question is this, and it's the most important question of the entire Psalm. That's why it's the most important verse. Is the Lord your shepherd. Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Right. Are you his? And it's interesting, again, Keller bring this out, brings this out in the book. When, when a shepherd has a flock, the first thing he does with his flock, you know what he does? He marks his flock with his sign, which, which Keller goes into is painful for the shepherd because he doesn't want to hurt the sheep and it's painful for the sheep, but it's significant because it identifies the sheep. And Jesus bears the mark of being our shepherd in his hands and in his side because by his wounds you were healed because we were continually straying like sheep, Peter says, but now have returned the shepherd and guardian of our soul. He bears the mark, but so do we. What's the mark of the sheep? The spirit of the living God, that he anoints us, that he, he baptizes us into the, the spirit so that that is the mark of God. How does that take place? I deny myself. I take up my cross daily and I follow him. I come to the end of my rope. I recognize I am a sinner separated from God. And because my faith in Christ, I'm marked with the mark of the shepherd. I am his. Are you his? Do you respond to his authority? Do you find comfort in his purpose and his calling on your life? Do you hear his voice? Right? Because when you do, there's a cause effect relationship, right? 
Notice the cause effect. The Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, what is true? What does he say? I shall not want. Right? There's a cause effect. I, I shall not want. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of Old Testament language, right? Or very King Jamesy. I shall not want. It can't mean I don't want anything because I want a lot of things I don't have. I want to be taller. I want my eyes to be like they were when I was 30. So I don't have to wear these. I wanted to win the Powerball. I would have tithed on it if I won. I, I, uh, I want the Cowboys to go 0 and 18 this year and every year for that matter for the rest of their existence. I, these are all things I want, right? So it can't mean that I'll never want anything. The NIV and I think the New Living bring out the idea here is I lack nothing or I have all I need. And the reason why is the rest of the chapter. If, you, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will have all you need. You will not be lacking a tool. You will have the wrench. You will have the socket. You will have everything you need to do this thing called life. And he's going to highlight now, we'll work through quickly, the 10 things that you'll never lack with God as your shepherd. Number one, he makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of you know that when the Lord is your shepherd, sometimes he's going to make you do stuff? We don't like that. Sometimes he's going to make you lie down in green pastures. And again, Keller brings out in his book, sheep will only lie down when four things are true. When there's a lack of four things, they have to be free from fear, from wolves and stuff. They have to be free of of pests like bugs and parasites. They have to be free from tension in the flock. You know, if this sheep's bullying everybody and this one's, you know, ramming into everybody, they won't lay down. And the big one is they have to be free from hunger. If they're, if they're hungry, they won't lie down. So where does he make them lie down? In a place where they can feed. He makes them lie down in green pastures. We're the same way. When there's tension, when there's fear, when there's lack of what we, we desire or need, it's hard to rest, right? But what, what David is saying is when God is your shepherd, you will never lack rest. You were created with a need and a purpose to rest. Do you realize this? You need rest, Remember Adam and Eve? What, what day were Adam and Eve created on? Remember? Which day? Day six. What happened on day seven? They rested. So they're created. God gives them all these instructions. You're going you're gonna to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going you're gonna to steward creation. Okay, we start tomorrow. No, tomorrow you rest. Because God baked into creation the, the rhythm of you need rest, that you work six days and you rest. You spend time just down, worship, together, doing nothing, enjoying what God has, has created. He, baked, he, he, put, he put it into the rhythm of the old covenant where every seventh year, they would let everything lay fallow. That every 50th year, they would, for two years in a row, they would let everything just rest. And you could trust that your God will provide for you and, and you can take that day off. And that, that's, some of you need to hear that. Some of you have been working 21 days straight and you need to chill. You think, I'm just a hard worker. no. You're going against what God has said. He's created you to rest. And you're like, well, I've never taken a vacation in 15 years. Well, you're dumb. (laughs) You have a paid vacation and you haven't taken it? Good for you. No, you're created to physically rest. You need, and if you're, folks, if you're an employer who never gives your people a day off, better think about that. Because the God of the universe gives his day. He's just like Chick-fil-A. He gives everyone a Sunday off. He gives everyone a day of rest. He wants that for us. But not only does he give us 
physical rest. He gives us ultimately spiritual rest. And there's only spiritual rest when you are fed, which is why we typically work through books of the Bible because it is our job to, to lead you to the, the pastures of, of God's word. This is why your spiritual rest is directly related to your intake of, of truth from God, whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through his word, whatever, right? Where you would be intaking and be reminded of who God is and what he has done. And some of you are so restless. And you came in this morning and you're just so weary because you're trying to impress God or impress others. You're trying to, to you know, make everyone happy or there's just anxiety and worry and you want to fix this and control this and all these things. And what you need to do is rest. And your only rest will come in the good shepherd because he's the one that says what? Come to me, all who are weary. Anyone weary? He says, I'll give you rest. That's where your rest will come. Some of you this morning have been trying real hard, trying, all you're gonna get out there is try hard, do better, try hard, do better, try hard. He says, no, no, you can come to me. You don't have to try hard, do better. I will give you rest because the shepherd gives rest. He also leads beside still waters. Sheep will drink anything. It doesn't matter. Puddles filled with urine, parasites, whatever. They just drink. And, and they, even if they do run to a clean stream, if, if it's got rapids, they'll run right into the middle of it. And because they have all this wool, they get all waterlogged and then they'll fall over and die. That's what they do. So the shepherd has to actually lead them to a place that is safe to drink, that, that, that is clean for them to drink so that they will be refreshed. And what David is reminding us is that when you have God as your shepherd, you will never lack refreshment. That which satisfies. Because we have a tendency like sheep to run to every little puddle. The puddle of success. The puddle of everyone liking me. The puddle of let's get drunk. The puddle of hookup culture. The puddle of this, the puddle of that, right? Fill in the blank. And for a moment, there's a, a, a quick satisfaction, but it's like a diuretic. It dries out your soul. And we need to re- be reminded of multiple times the words of Jesus. Jesus in Revelation 21 Whoever's thirsty, let him come to to the drink from the springs of the water of life without cost. And the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hungers and thirsts for righteousness, be satisfied. Jesus, to the woman at the well, if you knew who you were talking to, lady, you would ask me to give you water and you would drink and you would never thirst again. That's that's what Jesus tells her, right? We're like Jeremiah says, we're, we're trying to build cisterns that won't hold any water and they're cracked and they just keep leaking out and, st- and we rejected the true cistern, the true water. And so ask yourself this morning, what are, what are you trying to quench your thirst with? What, what, are you, what are you running to to quench your thirst? And how's it doing? How's it going? Is your soul dry? David says, go to the living waters. Go to the good shepherd, right? He restores my soul. He restores my soul, which, which implies there's going to be a time when you as a sheep need to be restored. And that's not a reflection of the good shepherd because he's perfect. It's a reflection of us because sheep are going to be sheep. And one of the things that sheep do, according to Keller, one of the most dangerous things is they get what's called cast. When a sheep is cast, it means it's on its back and it's all flailing around and it's spazzing out and it cannot roll back and get on its feet. It's impossible. It can't, unless the shepherd comes and, and picks it up. It, it, it'll die. If it's hot out, it'll die quick. If it's cold, it'll take, take longer, but then an animal will come and get it. Uh, and it, it will die. And they'll just be frustrated and just sit there and die. 
That's what sheep do. In fact, Keller says in his book, some of the most poignant memories are wrapped around the commingled anxiety of keeping a count on my flock and repeatedly saving and restoring cash sheep. They would count their flock. Okay, I have 63 sheep and he counts 62. I only got 62. And, he's, and he talks about it in his book. If I only see, if I'm one short, he runs and he tries to find because every moment counts. And then when he finally finds the sheep, he, he massages its legs to get the, the feeling back in it. And it kind of stands it up and they wobble and they fall and he picks them up again and massages more and finally restores the sheep to the flock. And he highlights the three big reasons why sheep get cast. Three big reasons. Same reason we spiritually get cast. Number one, they'll get cast because they're always looking for the most comfortable spot. So they'll sometimes, they'll lie on like a, a, a hollow, which feels real soft, but what ends up happening is they just zoop, they roll over and then they're stuck because they were looking for the most comfortable place. And he highlights in the book, hey, that's us. If we're looking just for the life of ease and comfort and the path of least resistance, where there's never any like hard things, it's easy to get cast, easy to spiritually struggle. Or another reason is they have too much wool and their wool is like Velcro. So they rock, you know, rock by a bush and they get leaves and sticks and all sorts of stuff. And they go over here and they get, uh, they get mud and they get manure and they get parasites and, they, and they're so weighed down that they go over. And for some of us, because we've picked up so much stuff from the world, the sticks and the mud and the manure and the parasites, we get on our back sometimes. Or the last reason, and it's not politically correct, but it is what it is. He says, sometimes if a sheep is just fat, they get cast real easy. You think, oh, shouldn't a fat sheep be a good sheep? No, a fat cow is a good cow. A fat sheep is a bad sheep because they're not nimble. They fall over a lot. They're lazy. They're kind of like very, you know, just don't do anything apathetic. And, and when we see success and we, we think we've arrived and we have a bunch of stuff and we're just like, oh, okay, we get lazy and we get out of accountability and it's easy for us to end up uh, with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life and just on our back. And, and the key is what does the shepherd do when we, his sheep are cast? What Satan wants you to think is that he, he says, you, you dumb sheep, you did it again. You just sit there for a while and just enjoy that on your back and flail around. That's what the enemy wants us to think because what the enemy does is he tempts us to sin and then when we fall in sin, he then starts accusing us, you worthless Christian. Your kids are singing on stage all these things and you're this and you're that and you did it again and who, God doesn't care about you and God doesn't want you. You are a worthless sheep. But what does David remind us? No, no, no. He restores me. And when you have God is your shepherd. You will never lack restoration, ever. And some of you need to hear that this morning because you're believing a lie. And you came in and your legs are all up in the air. And you're not gonna tell anybody that, but that's where you're at. And you need to recognize that you cannot ever out the shepherd. That there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, right? Which one of you, Jesus tells the disciples and the Pharisees, if you have one sheep that wanders off, will not leave the 99 and go get them. And then when he finds the sheep, what does he do? He rejoices. Why? Because there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't need repentance. That's the heart of the shepherd. You need to hear that this morning. Some of you who are flailing around and you're, you feel guilty and the enemy is yelling at you and, and accusing you. And you need, to, you need to just to buy out ah, to the shepherd and cry out and he will always restore you. That's who he is. 
because he's the good shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Sheep need to be led. If not, they'll destroy fields, they'll destroy each other, they'll eat manure, they'll roll around in junk, they'll get parasites, they'll eat bad things. They just do all sorts of dumb things. And so one of the things Keller says, he says, the greatest single safeguard which a shepherd has in handling his flock is to keep them on the move. He, and he talks about how he has to move them from one field to this field because they don't destroy the field and the field is less for them and then they don't destroy each other and they don't build ruts in and then mudslides and all these things. So he talks about how the shepherd has to lead from here to here to here to here to here. And what you can know for certain when God is your shepherd, you will never lack direction. That God will always lead his sheep. And the problem is we don't like to be led because we're stubborn. And I was listening to a preacher this week and I thought, that's me. That's us. We see God's direction sometimes as a, as a bunch of rules and lists. Don't this, don't eat that, don't drink that, don't go there, don't date her, don't work there, go, no, 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 no. And it's just a bunch of don'ts. But what David is reminding us is, it's, no, God is leading us to life. He's leading us beside still waters. He's leading us to good grass. He's trying to lead you to life and to protect you from this. And anytime we stiff arm God, when it comes to relationships or money or sex or work or whatever, we think, I want to do what I want to do. I'm a sheep. I can do what I want. We are stiff-arming God. That just leads to death. It just leads to death. Right? It doesn't lead to life. But when we step out and we trust, and the shepherd will lead us, he will always lead us to life. Right? And if you're not willing to listen to him, right, then you can't say the Lord is your shepherd. Because Jesus says, my sheep... They, they hear my voice and, and they listen. They know my voice and they follow me. Not perfectly because they need to be restored, but there's a listening, there's a following. And ask yourself, for those of you who he is your shepherd, has God ever led you astray? Has he ever led you to bad water? I mean, even if you didn't want to go this way and you felt like that was a long way around and that was hard and that was difficult, has he ever, ever not led you to life? Even in the things you were like, I never would have saw that. I mean, I remember years and years ago f- feeling kind of the, the call to, to seminary, to call to ministry and thinking, I, I, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's too, I don't see what, how, how that'll turn out. And I was, I was a school teacher. So the natural thing for a school teacher is get your master's and become administrator, right? Because you imagine me as a principal. No, I can't. But that's a natural course of things. But God's pulling over here and... And f- not knowing where that leads and leaving the Dallas, Texas and, and not knowing anybody and going, you know, now we love Texas, the great country of Texas, it's the greatest country in the world, right? I mean, but you did, not seeing that, you never would have thought that, but that was life. Coming to Savannah, planting a church in a city that I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to Savannah, right? But there's life, always life when you follow God. It may not be the easiest path and it, it may not be the shortest path, but it will always lead to life. Why? Because God always leads his people. He always prepares good works, Ephesians 2.10 says, beforehand that you would walk in them. Always. He always goes ahead of you. You can trust him. And, n- and notice why he does it. Again, he does it for what? For his name's sake. This is the key. His name's sake. Because if you just had this psalm without this little line, you might think, well, God's pretty high on me. He feeds me and cares for me and me. It's a pretty, God's pretty big on me. And God does love you. And God is for you. But it's not about you. It really isn't. And that may be offensive to some, especially maybe younger generations where you think it's about you. 
God does love you. God does care for you. God does do all these things for you, but it's not for you. It's for ultimately for his namesake. It's for his glory. God is ultimately for God. And God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Even, even Jesus, when he says, let your light shine before men, that they would see your good works and do what? Glorify God. Because ultimately in that day, and Keller brings this out, when the sheep are sick and dirty and the field's a mess and they're just nasty and, and you know, mangy, who, whose reputation is sullied? The shepherd. In fact, he talks about the field next to him. The, the shepherd didn't care about the sheep and the sheep would just be like at the fence longing to be in his pasture because they're just neglected. And it was a reflection not on those sheep, it was a reflection on the shepherd. And so when you, when you live as a sheep following God, it, it, it ultimately glorifies him and that's what it's about. Who's gonna wanna buy wool from a dirty, nasty, mangy, sick, parasite-ridden sheep? Nobody. And so he cares for his sheep. Why? For his name's sake. God is for God. He cares for you. He is for you, but ultimately he is, is for his glory. And, and David reminds us of that. And then he goes into uh, kind of one of the famous verse in this passage. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The valley of the shadow of death is a idiom for meaning just dark places. Places where you can't see your way out, right? Places you don't want to be. And, and there's some good news and some bad news about this verse. Let me start with the bad news. The bad news is this. If you follow the shepherd, you will go through valleys. Valleys of depression, valleys of financial struggle, valleys of challenges with your kids, valleys of uh, conflict with this person, valleys of a boss who's not this. You, you'll go through valleys, valleys of cancer, valleys of all of loss. You will go through valleys. Right? But it's the shadow of death. Spurgeon said it so well. He said, it's not the valley of death, it's the shadow of death. The shadow of a dog can't bite you. The shadow of a gun can't shoot you. The shadow of death cannot harm the child of God. So the bad news is you're gonna go through the valley. The good news is you will never go alone. And with this shepherd, you will never lack companionship. He's not on the other side of the valley saying, you can do it. You know, like a mom at field day, like, come on. On the sideline, he's not cheering us on. He says, where you are, I am. Where you go, I go. And some of you need to be reminded of this because in the valley, it's dark and you can't see and, and you know this, but you don't feel it. Right? You don't feel like God is there. You don't, if God was there, I would feel it. You, don't, you feel alone and I understand that. And God understands it. And this reminder you just need to let it wash over you. Wherever you're at, sheep, your shepherd is there. He's there. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And it is impossible for him to lie. Where you go, I will go, right? Because I'm the good shepherd. And his, as a good shepherd, his rod and his staff come for me. These are just the tools of the trade. Little rod that goes in his waistband and a staff that, you know, steal, steal, steers the sheep down the path or get out of that bush and hooks them. The rod beats down the, the cougars and the, the bears or whatever comes, right? And when the sheep sees the shepherd with his tools, says, that comforts me because I know he's got it, that he's going to protect me. 
Doesn't mean that the bear's not going to attack. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go through the valley. But when you have God as your shepherd, you will never lack comfort because this shepherd never leaves his tools at home. Never. He's always got his staff. He's always got his rod. It doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change. It doesn't mean you're not going to be in the valley. But when you know that the shepherd is with you and you know he's got his rod, you know he's got his staff, you can find comfort. Because comfort is encouragement in the circumstance. It's not necessarily removal from it. And some of you this morning need to be reminded, he's there and he's got it. Whatever it is, he's got it. Right? Because if I am for you, who can be against you? That's what he says. Right? You will never lack comfort. And now he moves, he kind of moves the metaphor a little bit from the good shepherd to the gracious hosts. He says, you prepare a table, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which is very interesting because I don't want to sit at the table with my enemies. I want you to take my enemies out and I'm going to celebrate at the table. But, but there's a kind of Middle Eastern uh, culture thing going on here. When you come under uh, the hospitality of someone in that culture, that you, you are under their protection and provision. Anything that happens to you is on them. So they, they are responsible for your protection now when, you are, when they are your host. Now, their protection is only as good as their power. But who's the host? Almighty God. And so he says, at my table, we can plop your enemies right over there and it's not a big deal. Because in my presence, you will never lack peace. See, peace is in the absence of conflict. Peace is comfort and peace in the conflict. And he says, you can sit across the table from your enemies, and because I am there, you can have peace. And I know some of you are like, well, I don't have enemies. Everyone likes me. First of all, that's not true. They just tell you that. But second of all, you do, if you were a child of God, have enemies. Now, your enemy is not your boss, your ex, your whatever. Your enemy uh, is not flesh and blood at all, but it's the rulers and the powers and the authorities of darkness. It's Satan and his demons who are your enemies and who are constantly fighting against you because your, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So you have an enemy, but what, what the shepherd does, he says, your enemy is toothless. It's toothless. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So you resist him firm in your faith. And you don't have to fear the enemy. You don't even have to fear death because Jesus has conquered the greatest enemy, which is death. Right? So that's why we have peace. Peace not found from the absence of conflict. Peace not found when my enemies are removed from my life. Peace because of who's at the head of the table. And I'm listening to his voice. And I think some of us don't have peace because we're sitting at the wrong table. We're sitting with a bunch of people who are talking in our ear. I can't believe that your spouse would do this to you and they're wrong and blah, blah, blah. I can't believe your boss gave that person the promotion and not you. I can't believe you're not the quarterback and that person's the quarterback. I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. Yeah, I know. And then you go over and you're listening to all this junk and you have no peace because that's the adversary who's trying to pull you away from the table of your God who says, come, enjoy this banquet. Eat all the gluten you want and enjoy. And on top of that, he says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What's that about? I don't want oil on my head, quite honestly. Kind of seems nasty, but, but the idea is this. Again, very cultural. What was expected when you came to the host's house is they would wash your feet or have their servants wash your feet because your feet are nasty. And so that, that was a way. That was just general hospitality. But if you wanted to go over the top, you wanted to be extravagant, right? You wanted to show how great of a host you are, you get a little Paul Mitchell out. 
Pert Pruss or whatever, and you put it on their hair and you anoint their head to show this is how glad I am that you're with me and this is how great of a host I am. This is how great of hospitality I show. This is how important you are to me. Your cup is gonna overflow when you're with me. And this is a reminder for us that when God is your shepherd, you'll never lack abundance. That doesn't mean you're not gonna struggle to pay the mortgage or that doesn't mean you're, not gonna, you're always gonna have the nicest car with leather seats and this backs up for you and drives for you. Doesn't mean that. It means you have God. What more could you have? You are an heir to the kingdom. You are a child of God, a prince and a princess. There's only one king. There's a bunch of princes and princesses and you're one of them if you're a child of God. The kingdom is yours. You're like, well, can I have it now? No, it's yours. Your name's on the deed. You gotta wait to get it, but it's yours. So you have abundance. I have come to give life. Life what? Jesus says, abundantly. Abundantly. Some of you need to believe it that God has given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness by his spirit. You need to believe it and stop believing the enemy that you don't have what you need. You do have what you need. You don't lack the wrench. You don't lack the socket. You have everything you need because of the shepherd. And he closes with this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God's so good. He says, I'm gonna send two traveling partners with you. Very pilgrim's progress. Goodness and mercy. Goodness is beauty. It's, it's that which keeps you on the right path. And when you fall off because you're a dumb sheep and you jump in that little hole, right after you got out of that little hole, there's hesed is the Hebrew word. Covenant faithfulness, love. God's loyal love that'll get you back on that path to goodness. And they're going to follow you everywhere you go because you can't get rid of me. When God is your shepherd, you will never lack love. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not even you. You can't even separate yourself, dumb sheep. That's how great the good shepherd is. You cannot out the shepherd. You cannot make him, some of you need to hear this. You cannot make God love you more than he loves you right now. Do you know this? You can't give an extra 10 bucks, serve a little longer, pray a little longer, sing a little louder, be a little kinder. Should be a song. You can't do anything to make God love you more than he loves you right now. Because when God sees you, if you are his child, he sees his son. How much does God love his son, his only begotten son? That's how God sees us when we are clothed in his son's righteousness. He can't love you more than he does now, so stop trying to earn it and just live in light of it because in this shepherd, you'll never lack love. Then he closes. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this could be taken two ways. Way number one, God, you're so good. I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying forever. I'll live in the guest house. I'm here. That's how good you are, right? That's one way to take it. And I think that may be the way. David's like, God, you're so good to me. You're so good. I'm going nowhere. The other way could be just, I'll be with you forever, which is true also. Jesus says, I go away, prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may also be. But the idea is this. It's the same idea with the 12 disciples. When Jesus preaches a hard sermon, everybody leaves. He's like, y'all going too? And they're like, where are we going to go? There's no one like you. No one has words of eternal life like you. And that's, that's it. Jesus, is, I'm with you. Not because you always do what I want. You, you sometimes don't. But who else loves me like you do? Who else will never leave me and forsake me? Who else lived and died 
and came back from the grave. No one, I'm with you. And I will be with you forever. And the last thing you'll never lack when God is your shepherd is you'll never lack him now and forever. You will be with him forever. Forever. And how good. Y'all, remember, you were an enemy of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And because of what the Lamb of God. Remember, Jesus is not only a shepherd, he's a lamb. He's the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He is the Passover lamb so that he was sacrificed, so that God's judgment passed over. So now you are a child of God. How good is God to us? He says, you will never lack me. You'll never lack me. Right? You have everything you need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What do you lack? Well, in him, you'll never lack rest, refreshment, restoration, direction, companionship, comfort, peace, abundance, love, and you will never lack him, ever, because he's the good shepherd. We're going to pray. Uh, and again, if, if you need prayer, I want to invite you again. Some, if you're wrestling with one of these, you need to, you need to be prayed over. After service, again, we have folks that will pray with you, that will talk with you, that will encourage you. Please go, talk to them. That's why they're there. Um, but we're gonna respond and we're gonna sing and we're gonna celebrate that God is our shepherd and you lack nothing. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this little psalm, this, uh, this as, as Spurgeon called it, the pearl of the Old Testament that points us to the goodness of you, our shepherd, that you would empty yourself, Lord Jesus, and you would take the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men for us, that God would shepherd us and care for us. And so wherever people are at this morning, maybe they need to be reminded of you and their rest. Maybe they need to hear about your love again. Maybe they need peace or comfort. Maybe they'd be reminded of, of companionship that you always, that you come, uh, you are the God of all comfort, that your spirit is the comforter Wherever they're at, Lord, speak to their soul. Restore their soul. And for someone this morning that's lacking all these things because they're not your you're not their shepherd, they're a shepherd, but not theirs, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. So in your name I pray. Amen. You guys can stand as we sing.